wondered where we got the Bible from. And have you ever thought about that? Like, like, where did it actually come from? I mean, yeah, people wrote it, but I mean, like where, how, when? Uh, And then, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible wasn't written in English. First service thought that was funny, but second service like, really? I thought English has like always been around. It's the thing. Everybody wants to speak English. No, it wasn't. And so somebody had to translate the Bible, right? All these things had to take place. And it's, it's really, it's important for us, I believe, to, to have a, a good knowledge of, uh, of the book that we base our life on. I think that we should kind of know a little bit more than just, you know, well, there's the one year, I'm just going to read through this, or there's these random books, I don't know who wrote them or where they come from or how they tie together, but it's just this book, right? And I think that, I don't know about about you, but for me, whenever I get information, information kind of inspires me. I like to kind of know the deeper level, like, I like to know all the little details, it's it's fun. Uh, But what it does is it also adds a lot of value to what I read on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I think the word also context is important. Whenever you know where the book was written, who it was written by, who they wrote it to, it provides context. And therefore, when you're reading it, you have more understanding of it. And so there's a lot of things, obviously, that we're not going to be able to cover today, by the way. Um, What we're going to talk about today, people give their whole life to study and go to school for. And I'm talking just they still have some issues with certain things. I mean, because look, this is a big topic. So when I say we're doing a flyover, I'm being honest, like we're doing a major flyover. Okay, so um, so if, if, if there's more questions that are spurred, that's great. That's great. Go begin to study. Get yourself a study Bible. Like take the one-year Bible and then up it and get a study Bible where every single uh, book has an intro to it where you could read before you read, right? You could read about it before you get into it. It's very interesting. Uh, and I think that we should all have a, a base knowledge of the Bible in that regard to, to help us understand what we're reading. Don't you think it's important? I mean, we're basing our whole eternity off the words of a book. I think that we should know about it versus just... Matthew chapter two, that, I got, I'm good. No, let's, what about the book, man? So, so today we're gonna be kind of delving into that. And I wanna start with 2 Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. It says this, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. Really, if you need something, an answer to something, I believe that the Bible can answer it. I believe that the Bible can provide a great foundation for you to make a good uh, biblical decision off of. I think what we do a lot of times is uh, I need help in finances. So what do I do? I go Google financial curriculum or blogs on finances or Dave Ramsey. You know what I'm saying? I, I go to these certain things versus possibly going to the Bible and maybe searching stewardship, right? Reading, reading scriptures about money and providing a basis of biblical understanding and then launching from that point in order to, to further your education on those things. I mean, when it comes to, to maybe a faith issue that you're having, Maybe go look at a bunch of scriptures on that subject versus a bunch of opinions on that subject, all right? Because somebody read it probably and then based these articles and blogs off of that. But for you, 
why don't you start with the scriptures? Why don't you start with the, the, uh, the, the actual biblical text for you? Y'all with me on that? Versus just launching off into these articles and blogs and opinions. And, and uh, uh, you know, nowadays, everybody thinks that we're in the informational age, and, and we are to a certain extent, but I think nowadays we're, we're actually in the contextual age, which is we've got so much information, we're overloaded with it. Really, we need information to be contextualized for us and put into context because I can go and I can Google and read up on every single subject and find the spectrum of opinions on it. But who do, who's writing that? Who's the person that's writing that? Another small thing, and then we'll jump into this. If you ever read a blog or an article on somebody that really is like, whoa, oh my, I didn't know that. Do one thing real quick. Go to who that person is and go find out what they do. Are they, are they a part of a church? Do they have any experience whatsoever? You know what I'm saying? Is there any credential that makes what they say worth it? Matter for you to base your, uh, your thought process on. A lot of people are writing a lot of things about some of the things we're talking about today from a skewed point of view, and, uh, and it can really, we can retain that. And so we want to we really search uh, with wisdom, all right? But that's why it's so important just to go back to the original. Just go back to the Bible. Start there, and then let's work our way from there, all right? So couple, uh, one key statement I want to make is the, the point or the punchline of the Bible, of the story of the Bible is Jesus. I think it's important that we say that. The point of the Bible is all about God's plan for man, the redemption of mankind, and his one way, his way of doing that was Jesus. We have to start there, okay? Some people start from other angles, and it's like, no, when you're reading the Bible, even all in the Old Testament all throughout, there's this thread, and the thread is the story of Jesus. You could see Jesus. We talked about it a few, uh, few a couple months ago. For instance, the ark. The ark represents Jesus. There's different uh, metaphors and things where you're going to see him interwoven in those things. And it's important to kind of start with that mindset. And uh, so a couple of things about the Bible, just to kind of break it down, is Number one, you might hear this a lot. I just said it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, the Bible is split into two categories and one's old, one's new. And really testament means covenant. So when you read testament, you could just say covenant, old covenant, new covenant. And uh, the old covenant was, uh, is, is 39 books. All right, Genesis through Malachi. You got Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's referred to as the Torah or the Pentateuch. You got Joshua through Esther's, the historical books. Uh, Job through Song of Solomon's books of poetry and wisdom. And then Isaiah through Daniel is the major prophets. And then you have the minor prophets with Hosea through Malachi. And it's 39 books. And in that, there's a lot of law. Okay, the old, the old covenant was really law-based. A whole lot of... If you mess up, you need to go and kill this and kill that in order to atone for that. And uh, it was just the, the old covenant. It was the way that God worked. And then the new covenant came with Jesus. And this is where we live. We're in the new covenant. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, it's also church services are a lot cleaner. There's not as much blood, you know, <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> Won't you come visit my church? Yeah, we sacrifice quite a few animals whenever we get together. It's uh, but if you can get past that, it's, it's really good. Um, no, it's, it's good. This is much better. It's a New Testament, and it's a lot to do with grace because that's what Jesus came to do. Uh, it really revealed the, the grace and the kindness of God and the love that he has for us. And it's 27 books. It starts with Matthew. You get Matthew through, Matthew through John as the Gospels and goes into Acts, which is the early church. 
The epistles uh, are the apostles' letter to the church. It's a couple of different apostles, but it's letters to churches like this, um, which is really interesting to read with that, that, that direction. Uh, this is a letter that a man wrote to, to other leaders in this church. Uh, and then, of course, there's Revelation, the end of times. And some people don't read anything else in the Bible other than Revelation because it's so intriguing, right? It's just, I want to know the future. So you read Revelation and, and then you get more confused because it's like, what is a dragon? Dragons are real. It's, it says in Revelation and, and we get, you know, these metaphors getting crossed up and you can really get lost in that. You know, now one thing I love about Revelation, the first time that I ever heard Revelation fully read all the way through was, believe it or not, at a chapel service uh, at school, which is a terrible chapel service. I mean, it's Really a bad plan, but um, for whatever reason, I thought it was awesome, and um, it really it was it was split into two different weeks, uh, which is still astounding. But anyway, so read through it, and man, I tell you one thing that came out of it was uh, my faith was encouraged. It was really a strange experience. It's one of those times where for you, it's your experience of reading something that you never read before, and it really doing something in the inside of you. And um, so anyway, Revelation, very intriguing. So. I want to answer a couple of questions before we get to the kind of the meat of where we're headed. But the first is, how did we get the Bible that we have today? The 66 books that I just told you about and uh, skimmed over, how did we get those 66 books? Because in case you don't know, there was a lot of books that were written back in the day, a lot of them. And so how did we get like whittled down to these 66? Well, uh, it was a process and it's the canonization of the Bible was a long process that took years, centuries to complete. And uh, the books had to meet a lot of criteria. There was councils of men that would get together, uh, Bible scholars, and they would argue and debate and whatever else we don't really know. Don't you wish that there was like a GoPro sitting in the corner of these times where we could watch and listen what these guys were saying and going through uh, versus a, a copy of a copy of a copy of, uh, you know, people trying to write as fast as they could, right? It's like, what really went down? I, I'm, I'm excited. I won't be able to see it. But in like 100 years from now, I mean, think about the accessibility to history. Think about the accessibility to what actually went down. I mean, we're living in a great time now, but imagine YouTube in 100 years, all right? And it might be like plugged into the side of your head or something like that. You just think a thought and pff, you're watching the video. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> strange thoughts. But, you know, it could happen, man, to where you're just, there's this complete access to, to things. Well, we don't have that from things that happened 2,000 years ago. We have manuscripts, we have you know, historical documents, but it was, uh, it was really in 397 AD at the Council of Carthage where the, the, the books that we have were really formalized into the Bible that we have. And so, uh, of course, it wasn't in our language. Again, if you guys didn't realize that, the Bible was not written in English. And so somebody had to take it and translate it. And that in itself is another whole story, another whole study that you can do of how it was translated. But, uh, but how did we get the English translation? Because the Bible was originally written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And so what happened was Latin replaced Greek in the Roman Empire and, and uh, uh you know, sometimes you say something and it's like there's a ton of thoughts that come around that one thought. A lot of things went down. But the Bible had to be translated from these languages into the Latin Vulgate, what's it's called. It's in 405 AD. So we had this Latin Vulgate. And then in 1384, which go 405 to 1384, that's a lot of years 
That's a lot of generations of people that they didn't have accessibility to the Bible in their language. Uh, obviously, languages were still progressing and still are today, but the Bible had to be translated from this Latin into English, and a guy named John Wycliffe did this. He, he is the first English translation. Then you skip forward a little bit, uh, 150 years later, William Tyndale was a man that wanted to mass produce the Bible. He, wanted to, he basically said, everybody should be able to read the Bible for themselves. Because at that time, you'd have somebody read it from Latin and read it to people that didn't speak that language. They had no idea what they were saying, right? Very confusing. There was this big gap. And he said, this isn't right. We got to do something about this. And so, uh, so he began to mass produce it. And he was actually executed for it. He was killed for for the Bible that we hold today, just to, to get it to, to be accessible to us. Uh, the thing is, three years after he was killed, King Henry did it. He actually began to mass produce the Bible, which is unfortunate. I mean, three years, it's only three years. And, and, but, uh, but he died in order to start that process of mass production of the Bible. So uh, then skip forward to 1611. That's whenever the King James Version was was translated, and all of us usually have heard of the King James Version of the Bible, and uh, there was a lot of different people that went into that process. They took the Latin Vulgate, they took the English translations that were done, they went back to the Hebrew and Greek, and all, all of this together, and bam, the King James translation. And, and that translation's gone through any revisions. Uh, you know, it's kind of difficult to translate let's say from Greek to, to English, whenever there's literally no English word for that Greek word. It's not just like for us, we think going from Spanish to English, it's something that's kind of linear. It kind of makes sense. If you go back and look, man, I don't know Greek. Maybe somebody in here does. Congratulations, that's awesome. But uh, it's, it's difficult to just, oh, this is what that means. Sometimes you have to really look at these words and break them down and communicate thoughts and uh, it's a process. And so men have been doing this for years and translating the Bible, looking at it and, and breaking things down. And, um, and so, so we have the English translation. And actually, you know, the Bible is still being translated into other languages like right now. Uh, Wycliffe.org says there's 1,800 languages that the Bible still has not been translated into that they're working on. There's a, they actually have a plan to complete uh, so that every language that's known can have a Bible, that people can read the truth. And um, man, that's a, that's a great journey that they're on. You know, you could actually go read about it, go look at it. It's very interesting. So, but those are the, the language translations. And, and then there's, there's, there's something that's got a lot more controversy surrounding it, and it's the translations, the modern translations that we're seeing come out uh, you know, here and there. And it's like the NIV, the, you know, the ESV, the NLT. There's some paraphrases out there. Really, if you download that app, version, uh, when you go to translations, you could see how many there are. It's, there's a lot, okay? Well, there's a lot of controversy around that. There's a lot of controversy around everything that we do. Y'all right? You understand that? I mean, you can't go to Walmart without somebody having something to say about it nowadays. It's ridiculous. It's like, I'm just going to get some bread. But man, well, are you getting the whole grain bread? Or are you getting the 21 grain bread? You know, I recently put out a video about that. 100% whole grain. It was funny for those of you who saw it. You can go to, go to my Facebook page. Speaking of, we're not on Facebook right now. Yeah, we're taking a, taking a hiatus from Facebook. I feel a void inside my heart right now. <laughs> I feel so disconnected from everyone. I'm not going to be able to see what you ate for dinner. <laughs> you know? 
useless information. But we have these modernized translations, and, and these, these translations are being produced that are modern in their wording. Again, it's like the NIV, the NLT, these other things that, that again, you can look at. But these newer trans, uh, versions are translated from the best available ancient uh, Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. Now, we believe that all of them are, are helpful. We really do. And we believe that they, uh, they may be worded differently, but, but God speaks through them. And all of them point, again, to Jesus. And you've got to start there. Because if any book, any translation, any paraphrase begins to veer away from Jesus Christ, Son of God, you know, our redemption, uh, then we've got some major issues. All right? All of them point to Jesus. And I think it's important that we start there and then uh, realize that, you know, versions are, there's a lot of them. And I think that we should always weigh every word that we read and we should always look at it and say, let's, you know, make sure that what we're reading is balanced and biblical. But, uh, but for us, we, we believe that all of them are helpful. And uh, I believe that you can read any of those translations and you're going to have a very, very good understanding of who Jesus is. And, uh, and I think it's also going to provide a lot of growth in your life. I think it's also going to provide conviction and direction for you. And so uh, what I would say is, is don't get um, entrenched in the, the controversial conversations around those. Um, I think it's good to keep your nose clean of all that. I, I, I like to think of it this way. Controversies have been going on since the beginning of time, and uh, we are just one step in the process of controversies. And this is just one of the controversies that is prevalent in, in nowadays. And uh, I just, I, I kind of think it's funny that a lot of times we think that we're going to be the generation that's going to figure it all out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I just said, all these guys got together and they would debate and they would talk. And but now I can get on Google and I got all the answers. You know, I think that we have to stay humble in our approach to uh, controversies and quarrels. Read the scripture again. The, the Bible talks about not getting wrapped up in fruitless uh, conversations that are only going to produce more disunity. And so point to Jesus and, um, and it'll be good. All right? Good. Moving on. How has the Bible been validated? And again, this is a giant conversation Lots of uh, things that you could read, lots of history that goes into this, this but just a few things that I want to mention. Um, there's a lot of things that have validated the, the, the Bible, one being manuscript evidence. There's, there's so many manuscripts. There's actually 20, over 24,000 manuscripts just of the New Testament. I mean, there's, there's manuscripts and copies upon copies of copies that, that validate the, uh, the, the Bible F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, a Bible scholar, said there's no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. A lot of the books and the historical books that we read have less manuscript evidence and we, we have no problem receiving it as truth. You know what I'm saying? And the Bible's sitting there with just this gargantuous amount and yet still people say, well, I don't, I don't know. Manuscript evidence. Number two, archaeological evidence. Again and again, they, they, they discover things that verify the accuracy of the, the cultural references in the Bible. Eyewitness accounts. The Bible was written by people who witnessed the events it describes. Many were persecuted and martyred for these things, and they never changed their story. And I think that's important to, to kind of put in your mind. These people saw these things happen, 
And people came to him with a knife to their throat and still said, no, I'm not, this happened, I'm telling you. Uh, I, I can tell you this, if I didn't see something happen and then somebody had a knife to my throat, I'd, yeah, I was just joking. You're good. It's just, it's just, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. You know what I'm saying? These people died for it. Many of confirming, many confirming accounts. There's plenty of references in the non-biblical sources to the events described in the Bible. There's also an amazing uh, literacy. There's a consistency in the literacy of the Bible. Think about it. There's 66 books. They were written over 1,500 years with all these different writers, and they're all pointing to one story. They're all communicating one story. That is amazing. Okay. Uh, we can't even play a game of telephone, you know, where you like pass information to the person to the left. It gets past three people and it's completely off base. You're like, what are you talking about? I didn't say that. Uh, that also happens in real life <laughs> where, you know, I, I know I didn't say that. Oh, they said you did. I, I didn't, you know, this, this consistency in the Bible telling this one story of Jesus is crucial. Also the prophetic consistency that's in the Bible. There's, there's over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament. 300 prophecies. Uh, it's a big deal. Some of you are like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. It is, these, are, these are big deals, okay? And then also there's scrutiny, the amount of scrutiny that was underneath, uh, that the Bible was underneath in those times. The experts that were, again, looking at, uh, are these books valid? Should these be canonized? Should, I mean, are they authentic? Should they be included? All these conversations, uh, they were under a lot of scrutiny. So there's many other things, other evidences that you can look at. And again, this is a gigantic subject, but it's, again, this is a flyover, all right? But there's a lot of different ways that you can uh, find, put your faith in the Bible, the evidence, the, the validity of the gospel. And um, it's important, I believe, that we have a, a foundation in that. I really do. What do you do if you sit down with somebody at a, at a Starbucks and they say, so where'd the Bible come from? And you're like, um, it's so long time ago. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> go and get a refill. You know, it's like, yeah, is there anything there? You know, now, again, we're probably never going to be 100% scholars who, you know, know every single thing that's, just unrealistic, but I think there we should we should journey, go on some journeys where we we know why we believe what we believe and and how we got this this book, the Bible. I think it's a very good, valid thing to uh, to to embark upon for your life. So I want to kind of change gears and talk about why it's important that we read the Bible. What does the Bible do for you? You ever you ever ask that question? What does reading the Bible literally do for me? What does it do in me? Why is it so important? If you've been around here any amount of time or you've heard multiple sermons, you know, we wrap up a lot of times and we're like, well, you just need to be in your word, you know? How about whenever somebody asks you, have you been reading your word? What's the response? Not like I should, you know? Not like, well, just not like I should. I mean, we always say that, but I think sometimes the reason that is is because we don't see the value in it. We kind of, we kind of, we're distracted by a lot of other things. We find value in reading other things. But when it comes to the Bible, it's kind of repetitive because maybe we don't understand what it's really saying. And then we just kind of Facebook it, right? Like look at Facebook quotes. 
we, we look at the little pictures that people make from version and they post online. I'm like, oh, that's a good, I like that. All right, good for today. All right, next. And we forget, I need to read the Bible for myself, but, but why? Well, Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than, than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit. The Bible is not like other books. Okay, it's, it's not like reading uh, just some other historical book or another fiction book. The Bible is alive, and it, whenever you read it, it affects you. It, it, it convicts you. It messes with you. It messes with your thinking. And most things that we do read do mess with us eventually, but the Bible is something special. I've had multiple friends who... Maybe they grew up in church, reading the Bible, memorize. I mean, look, in school, I was in private school. We, we memorized the Bible like all the time. I mean, I'll hear the beginning of a phrase and I remember the rest of the, the verse because when I was in fourth grade, we had to learn it over and over and over. And that's great. But also sometimes it was just, this is what we got to do to pass a class. It wasn't alive, you know? And so you grow up in this environment and uh, I've had multiple friends and even myself where all of a sudden you had that day where you really, I mean, you commit to God, like you, you get saved. And then I can't tell you how many times you're like, I'm reading the Bible and it's, it's actually mattering now. It, it's alive. Like I read it and I'm like, whoa, I never saw that before. Read that same story over and over, but this time I saw it from a different direction. And there's excitement around it because it's alive. And we've got to read it because it, it, like I said, it separates. I mean, the Bible has a way of, if you want to read up on a subject, when you read scriptures on that subject, it just delineates things. And it's, it's cut and dry. It's just boom. And then it moves on to another subject. You're like, wait, 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 go back, go back. Say more about that, <laughs> you know, break that down. No, that's it, bam. And it's, it's just very cut and dry about some things and it's helpful. But what does the Bible do for you? What does the Bible do for us whenever we read it? There's four things. Number one, the Bible reveals Jesus. That's the first thing that the Bible does. A lot of people get in, want to get in controversy, uh, controversial conversations and talk about Jesus and talk about all this stuff. And, and I think sometimes the best thing that you could do in that kind of conversation is just read the word of God for yourself, but then also encourage those people to just start reading the Bible. Just, just read it. Give it a month. Start reading the Bible and just see. All right, because what's other than that, what are we going to do? It's going to be an intellectual conversation. And a lot of times, can I be honest? We're not up for the fight. We don't know enough to, to really combat some things that are out there. You know why? Because this thing is spiritual, man. See, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The whole, and faith is something that you can't create on your own. Faith is not something that you're going to convince somebody to have. We got to remember that. Okay, so the scripture reveals Jesus. John 5, 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The scriptures are pointing to Jesus and some people are looking for other answers. They're looking for other ways and they read the Bible. Maybe there's something that I can find that would say, no, Jesus isn't the only way. I talked to a guy recently, said there's a lot of different ways that we can get to God. He's like, hmm. No. <laughs> not, no, I don't believe that, you know, and uh, it wasn't the time or place to really get into that kind of conversation, but like, no, nah, the Bible's pretty clear. It's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. And so do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we got to read the Bible. You want to know his heart. 
Know the way that he responds to things. Read the Bible. Number two, the scriptures, the Bible builds character. It builds character. John 15 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you're connected to God's word, you're connected to the vine, you're connected to God, and therefore the fruit of your life, the character that, the fruit that you bear based upon your character will be good fruit. Do you want your character to be improved? Do you want the fruit of your life to be better maybe than the fruit of this past year? One of the major ways that you're going to accomplish that is by reading the word of God. The fruit of the spirit, a lot of people are trying to produce good fruit in their life. I want to be full of peace and full of joy. And, uh, and you go read and it says the fruit of the spirit are those things. So we try to circumvent the whole God thing or Jesus or the process. And we just want all the, the good fruit from it, but we don't want the, the process to get it. We want to find it another way. We got to find a way, you know, I'll just stop right there. What's your fruit? What's your, how's your character? Do you want better character? I think a lot of times we can hide our character. I think we're very good at hiding our character. We're in church. This is so good. Like sitting here smiling, nodding. <laughs> that was a funny joke. You know, and you walk away and there's literally no fruit of what we talk about. There's no fruit. So does it matter? Do we believe it? I believe the only things that we truly believe are the things that we do which is very painful for all of us to admit. I believe in holiness, but yet nothing about my life really says I'm holy. I believe that we should love, yet somebody says something to us and we let them have it, right? I mean, social media has just blown that apart. The earth will shake and tremble and then like just cursing people out. It's like, that is, that's the same fountain, right, producing two different streams, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. What, what's going to convict you of that? The Bible. Because we are so good at debunking what people say. Because if somebody comes at us, what do we say? Well, get the log out of your own eye. Yeah, I mean, that's like our go-to scripture. We don't know anything about the Bible, but we know that scripture. Just lest you be judged. You know what I'm saying? It's like... Actually, sometimes I think people love us, and so they bring something to our attention and just say, man, what's your problem? What's going on? But we have these defense mechanisms. It's unfortunate that the, the, the most scripture that most of America knows are completely out of context and not used in the right way and used to defend sin. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Strange. The scriptures also, number three, bring spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We just read this a while ago. But all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not thoroughly equipped for no reason, but in order to produce good things. Now, a lot of people get this mixed up, this kind of thought process is they try to be, they try to do a lot of good stuff first, 
in order to prove that they are righteous, right? But the Bible kind of puts this in a different order. There's this growth process. Now, whenever we receive Jesus, the way that I've just pictured it is like putting a jacket on, putting a coat on of righteousness. It's not my own righteousness. I didn't do nothing to deserve it, all right? But Jesus did, and so he provides that for me. But because of that, I am just convinced and really desire to do the things that please God. It's not the other way around. I want to do things in order to, like, get something. No, he's already done it. But, but now I desire to, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be obedient. I want to have this every good work operating in my life. Well, what does the Bible do? It rebukes. That is just one of those words that we don't like to hear. All right, I had some friends, anytime they said the word rebuke, you had to say it like, you know, rebuke you, you know, it's like this chop. But anyway, uh, one of those church things, you know what I'm saying? You grew up and you had the, the sideways chop. You are a rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And, uh, but anyway, rebuking, it's, sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's needed. It says it teaches us. It's useful for teaching. Again, what I said earlier, Sometimes there's subjects, there's things that you're going through that instead of calling up your, your friend or, you know what I'm saying, get on Google, go to the word of God, search the word of God for it. I mean, there is one great thing about the internet. If you want to know about, uh, you know, I don't know, stewardship, like I said earlier, just what does the Bible say about stewardship? And you'll get, you'll get these websites that they pull out all these verses and pff, you can just read pages of, of scripture on something. And I'll be honest, anytime that I get stuck on something, that's usually where I start. I don't go to blogs. I don't go. It says the Bible is useful for teaching. It says scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching. So if I believe that, then that's the first source that I go to, right? You understand that? So teaching, rebuking, correcting. Y'all know that we need to be corrected, right? Correcting is good. We've got to, I mean, nowadays we don't like correction, of course. We're all independent. Man, we need to be corrected. I'd rather hear it from the Bible than from a person. I receive it better, okay? You know what I'm saying? And uh, I think we all do. It's a great place to start. But you know this, there's just something else. Whenever you know the Bible or you have a, a good understanding of scriptures, whenever you are maybe off base and somebody, a person that you trust, maybe kind of lovingly, sarcastically mentions that, you know, hey, I mean, what are you doing, man? Whenever they say it and then whenever they begin to confront or correct you, when what they say aligns with the scriptures that you have in you, even though you might not be remembering them at that moment, those two things come together and you're defenseless in a good way because you should be. And all of a sudden, you don't, you don't have this defense mechanism rise up. You have a humble spirit that says, you're right, and you repent, and you deal with it, and you move forward. Make sense? All right. So... Spiritual maturity is important. We've got to continue to progress. Um, if, if you feel like you, you got saved and you, you chose Jesus and that was like 10 years ago and you feel like you're in the same place or you're maybe going the opposite direction, you're not moving forward in your understanding and your knowledge of Christ, your, your character is definitely not what it should be, you're not maturing. So it's time to revisit the basics. The Bible is that for you. And then fourth, the scriptures, the Bible imparts faith. The Bible imparts faith. Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word. 
It comes by this, uh, like again, like I said, you don't create faith in somebody's heart. We're not the creators of faith. God has bestowed that upon us. He's given that to us. And so, but, but that faith has to be exercised. That faith has to be, has to grow. And um, it's important to realize that because if not, we feel like we can um, kind of coast on what we had in the past. We, you know, I had faith at one point and now I'm not really strong in that anymore, but I'm kind of just coasting on the, what, the, gain, the, the ground that I, I gained back in the day. It's, it doesn't work like that. This is a perpetual thing. Your faith has to be maintained perpetually, forever. Like this is, a, this is something that you don't like check off the box and move on in life. This is a, a walk. This is a journey and you're on it. And I think some people think that they're not on it, but here's the deal. You're always on a journey. Like you're always walking in a direction. It's not whether you're moving or not. It's just where you're headed. And I think that's important for us to realize. Sometimes we feel like we're in neutral, like we're in a good neutral. Like I've, I've gained ground and, and here I am in church. But really what it is is, you're always moving, but am I moving closer to God? Am I moving closer into a relationship with him? Or am I moving further away from that? It's a mindset. It's a, but, but this thing of faith is, uh, is very important. And I think the question is just, do you want more faith in God? Do you want more faith in his word and his promises? And if so, then read his word. Get in his word and read it. Very simple. I don't have a lot of walkaways today. I feel like, uh, so I guess we should read the Bible. All right. It's important, though. These four things, uh, we got to remember them. And so really what I want to do is put these into a prayer form because for us, I believe the four things that we want God to do in us in this year really are these four things. That, that number one, that Jesus would be revealed. That Jesus, the message, the good news of Christ would be revealed, communicated well to all of us. Now, there's different people in this room, and there will be different people in our church all throughout forever. But for the next year, some people are going to be lost. Some of you maybe are lost. And what I mean by that is you don't really know God. You're not in a relationship with him. And so you're, you're disconnected from him. Then there's people that are hypocritical. All right, it's hypocrites. There might be hypocrites in this room right now. All right. Who? Is it I, Lord? You know, hypocrites. But y'all know those exist, which means, again, like, here I am at church, and I'm literally a completely different person whenever I'm outside the walls of the church. It's a facade. It's a mask. God doesn't like it. God talks about lukewarm people. He, likes, he wants to spit them out of his mouth. Very harsh. Is that in the Word? Yes, it is. You should read it sometime. But um, it's there, and, and it's important that we realize these things. And so Jesus, that he would be revealed to the lost, to the hypocritical, also to the lazy, some of us, we're Christians, but we're lazy Christians. Can we admit that? Some, some of, we're just lazy. We're not progressing. We're not trying. We're just, we're not doing anything wrong. All right. But we're just kind of, yeah. And then also Jesus needs to be, re be revealed to the passionate Christians, to those who are taking ground. Let me tell you something. You never get done being evangelized. You never get done hearing the good news of Christ and it reminding you of who you really are in a, in a good way and, uh, and, and just constantly revisiting that. Jesus would be revealed. Number two, that character would be tested and challenged. I think all of our characters need to be tested. I think that everything, everything that we are has to be challenged and tested because if it's not, how do we know what it's made of? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit does this to us. 
challenged and, and tested. We don't really like that nowadays. We, we like to just kind of coast, but we need challenge. Number three, that spiritual maturity would be evident and experienced in us. Do you want that? Do you desire to look back a year from now and say, I have grown in my relationship with God? Like I know him better than before. Is there maturity? And then number four is that faith will be exercised and strengthened. Look, individually, you all have faith. You all have that faith inside of you and that faith needs to be exercised and strengthened. And then corporately for all of us, we together need to continue to have faith that is exercised as a church to take ground for the kingdom of God, to not be fearful of critics, to not be fearful of negativity, to not be fearful of the enemy, but to realize that truly no weapon formed against us can prosper because we've got Jesus. And to be encouraged and to have faith to say, God, what do you want us to do this next year? And I believe that as we read the word and as we see examples of these things happening, that a year from now we'll be better for it. Y'all agree? All right, come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we, we are praying this over our church. We're praying this over us individually. God, we're praying that Jesus would be revealed in our hearts and in our minds. God, that all the, the critics, all of the negativity, all the things that combat uh, Jesus as our Savior, we pray that we would be able to overcome those things individually. God, that the people that come to our church, that the people that are our family and friends who are lost and don't know you, God, that they would come to know you. God, that we would be used in that process. Father, for those of us who are in a lazy time of life and our relationship with you, we're, we're just, we're used to it and we're almost becoming lukewarm and not effective. God, I pray that you would revive every person in that place, that you would revive our hearts, that you would revive conviction, that you would revive your voice being spoken to us to hear you clearly again. And God, I pray for those who are doing well right now. God, those that are passionate and taking ground with you. God, I pray that you help them to stay humble. God, that spiritual pride would not seek to find its way in their heart to where there would be comparison and judgmentalism, but God, that there would always be a grace and a love that, that is interwoven into every word that is spoken. God, that in this church, we would be a church that helps to reveal Jesus to people. God, we pray for our character, that our character, all of us individually, it would be tested. Gotta be tested and challenged. Father, if we're doing things that are shady, unethical, not the way it should be done, God, I pray for conviction. This year, as we read your word, convict us, God. Mess with us. We open our hearts to that, Father. God, that our character would be tested. God, for spiritual maturity to be evident and experienced. God, all of us, that next year at this time, we would be here and we would say, I have truly grown in my understanding of God. I've truly grown this year. It's, it's not been another bust year, but this year was different. I read the word and God spoke to me and now I am stronger. And God, in the fourth part, in our faith. God, that we will be strong in our faith. God, in this day and age where information is everywhere and, and conversations tend to produce doubt and unbelief, God, I'm praying that in all of us, we would overcome doubt with faith, that we wouldn't be driven by fear, but God, that we would be fully, God, just fully invested into you, that our faith would be made whole. God, that you'd speak to us. God, for those who have weak faith in this place today, God, I'm asking for you by your spirit to strengthen their faith in you and your promises. 
God, faith in the hope that you bring to us as individuals, to us as a church, and to us as a nation in this world. God, our hope is in you, our trust is in you. We've got nothing left. There's nothing else that we're relying on. God, we believe in your word. Come on, some of you today in this room right now, as we're praying, you know that your faith is not there. You don't have faith in God. It's not affecting your life. It's not a real relationship. Uh, it's, you're, you're flying solo and you know it. And today you want to change that. Today I wanna give you an opportunity to choose Jesus. We're not gonna do anything strange. I'm not gonna bring up to the front of the room, but I wanna ask you to do one thing. And that is to raise your hand. If you're in this place today and you need Jesus, Come on, I just want you to raise your hand right now. I just want to pray with you. Anybody here? One over here. Another one over here. Another one over here. Another one right here. Two, three. Another one right here. Anybody else? Come on, right here. What a great day to give your heart to God. What a great day to, to just bow your knee and say, I don't have the answers, but God, I know you do. Anybody else? This is what I'm gonna do right over here. I see your hand. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. And this is what I want you to do is, is as I pray, I want you to, to not repeat every word I say, but as I pray, I want you to have your own conversation with God. I want you to pray to your God and ask him to come into your life today. God, I come before you. God, humble, I am, I, am, I am open right now. And God, I have tried really hard. I've tried to be good. I've tried to do all the right things. And today I find myself just out of answers, just out of answers, God. And, and Lord, today I, I, am, I am coming before you. God, I ask for you to forgive me of my sin. God, that you would remove the, that, that stony, cold heart that I've had and that you would replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that can feel, a heart that is, uh, can be convicted and, and messed with God, but, but, but something different than what I have. God, I pray for, for you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. Today, I receive that gift of salvation. I thank you for your hope. Jesus, I thank you for your victory, that now I am more than a conqueror. I'm not defeated. I am victorious. And today is a new day. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for all those people that gave their heart to God? Yeah. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.